Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnebley and Toth. So by my count, this is actually episode number 24. Yeah. Wow. Hard, hard to believe. Two dozen episodes. Can you believe it? I, I can't. And in all seriousness, a shout out to all of you who have not only subscribed, but told your friends and family about it and gotten them to, dis- to subscribe. And we are humbled and grateful for the people who have subscribed and the emails that you send telling us how much you love this uh, how much you love this show lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com how was your week this week lens you know it was it was uh, it was up and down the most unusual thing happened while watching uh, football I was in I was in the living room and I've got this this five one surround sound which is pretty cool during live sports because the satellite speakers that sit behind you are really good at projecting the uh, the crowd noise. I love so that. you often hear hear things that make it feel like you're just sitting you know that there are fans actually sitting behind you watching the same game cheering booing yelling clapping all that stuff and so after about 10 minutes i'm vaguely aware that nancy is gone my wife and i think huh well she must be getting something probably making sandwiches in the kitchen what a what a dear wife cat's rolling her eyes <laughs> every once in a while i'm vaguely aware of hearing my name and i think who would be yelling my name at SoFi Stadium during a football game. That's that's really weird. But I'm so engrossed in the game that I don't stop to think that maybe somebody is actually yelling my name. And for some reason, when the volume of the TV dropped, like going into a commercial or something, I actually hear somebody screaming my name at the top of their lungs. And I realize, oh, maybe it's Nancy. <laughs> Now, was she screaming just your first name or your full name? Full name. Oh, you're in trouble, dude. Full name. You're in and trouble. And I think, well, maybe I should go out to the kitchen. Maybe she's having some issues with these sandwiches and snacks. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> so I go, I go out to the kitchen, 
and she's not there, but I, I yell into the kitchen, do you need help? And then I hear this faint voice yelling, yes! And I realize it's coming from the back of the house. So I go back to the bedroom and the master bath and the door to the master bathroom is stuck and she has been screaming my name for probably 12 minutes oh, at no. the top of her lungs because she can't get the door open she can't she could open the bathroom window but that just goes out to the front yard and she realizes people are going to think that like there's a house fire or something <laughs> really awful if she's screaming for help at the top of her lungs yeah. And so I open the, managed to get the door open, and she, she is laughing and fuming at the same time. And she says, I've been screaming for 12 minutes. And I said, I couldn't hear you. And she says, I know you couldn't hear me. That's why I was screaming. <laughs> oh, so, so a few so. minutes later, we were both having sandwiches and beers and <laughs> snacks and enjoying a good laugh. You know, it's such a good thing to know that you and Nancy get along so well. Despite not realizing that she was locked in a room <laughs> all of 50 feet from me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was well, just relieved that she forgave me so quickly and that, that it became funny as quickly as it did. That's what I mean. It's, uh, it's great to have a relationship like that. One thing that neither of our wives really enjoy, and I've noticed this, we, we talked about this when we were all on vacation together uh, a month or two ago. And that's that you and I have an undying love for the movie Caddyshack and neither of our wives really, well, they just roll their eyes when we start quoting Carl Spackler dialogue. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the modern equivalent of uh, uh, the Three Stooges syndrome, I think. What is the Three Stooges syndrome? Is that like a thing? The fact that uh, almost universally men will laugh themselves till they, till they pee their pants and women just shake their heads like... There, there is nothing the least bit funny about this. Why yeah. are you laughing so hard? It's lowbrow. It's mostly physical comedy and far too dumb for most women. Got it. Yeah. But even the most intelligent men I know st still <laughs> laugh out loud at a Three Stooges film. It's like in our DNA. I think so. And it's the same with Caddyshack. In fact, Carl Spackler is probably my favorite Bill Murray character. I would agree with you. Yeah, that, that one, that was so unusual and from out of nowhere and how do you how do you come up with that facial expression that voice right the, just the yeah. way he holds his mouth it's a character that he developed when he was on the stage at second city theater in chicago the character originally was known as the honker i didn't know that and he would just he would just berate people you know <laughs> he was an eccentric loner Carl spent a great deal of time talking to himself in the movie. He's the assistant groundskeeper at Bushwood. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir. <laughs> hey, that's a great Ted Knight. Thank you very much. Carl lives in squalor, but attributes it to, quote, credit trouble. Um, <laughs> I got to watch this movie all over again. Carl in the movie has been tasked with saving Bushwood Country Club and golf course from a gopher infestation. In the movie, he says, quote, It's about time somebody teaches these varmints a little lesson about morality and what it's like to be a decent, upstanding member of society. <laughs> Carl may be a bit of a slacker by nature, but he takes his gopher elimination job very seriously. Too seriously. And, yeah, he does. And he resorts to a variety of weapons, including a hose, a rifle, and ultimately plastic explosives. 
Our story today is about three real-life would-be Carl Spacklers. Really? And instead of Bushwood Country Club, our story takes place at Carol Fowler Elementary School in California, right outside (laughs) Sacramento. I don't see what could possibly go wrong here. Sacramento has long had a problem with gopher infestation. Now, you live out in the outskirts of Los Angeles, and gophers are native to California. Do you have an issue with gophers? Where you we are? have had issues with uh, with gophers in our front yard, yes. You mean that they yeah. don't show up often enough or give you cuddles? <laughs> because Yeah, they skip out on appointments. They don't pay their bills. Right. You know. They're just yeah. damn unreliable rodents. Yeah, their agent won't return your call. It's very, very Hollywood. <laughs> well, it was a real problem in Sacramento. Uh, they were ripping up uh, parks and uh, a place called Greenhaven Greenbelt in Sacramento. Neighbors say the gophers were starting to, they started like at the parks in the the Greenbelt and started moving into their yards. Dog owners (laughs) won't walk their dogs on uh, grass because they are afraid their pets will fall into gopher holes. I believe it. It's that bad. Same with the kids on soccer fields. Rarely do you see them kicking the ball around on the field because they were tripping and falling into gopher holes. Jeez. For years now, the gopher infestation has been blamed on the drought. You guys are still suffering from that out there. We are indeed, yeah. A spokesperson for the city of Sacramento said park maintenance staff members speculate that since gophers are vegetarians and they like to eat grass, the drought has driven them to seek out vegetation in well-irrigated areas, like golf courses. Like golf courses. And soccer fields. Of course. And Carroll Fowler Elementary School. (laughs) Now, this happened a while ago. In the spring of 95, gopher infestation had reached a peak at Carroll Fowler Elementary School. At least that's what they thought. The damage to the school grounds was so extensive, people assumed that it was an entire herd of gophers doing the damage. Group group of gophers? A herd of gophers? Gaggle. Gaggle of... I didn't know what a group of gophers was called, so I looked it up, and the internet says there is no word for a group of gophers really? because they're solitary creatures and keep to themselves. They never gather together. So I'm calling them a gaggle. However, just like Caddyshack, it was not a herd of gophers. It was just one very clever and hyper-achieving gopher responsible for destroying the school grounds and the soccer field. Really? Yeah, one gopher. Just like in Caddyshack. Wow. Instead of one Bill Murray character named Carl Spackler, in this story we have three nameless janitors from the elementary school. (laughs) Okay. Uh, These guys have been tasked with tracking down and eliminating the gopher. Jeez. Eliminating? Yeah. Just like in Caddyshack, this task proved to be far more complicated than they expected. Uh, There are many methods of eliminating a gopher, none of them very pleasant. Everything from, you know, poisoning to trapping to shooting, whatever. None of these techniques proved fruitful. The gopher kept getting away. And weeks went by. During this time, the destruction of school property seemed to really ramp up. It was almost as if the gopher was working overtime because they pissed him off. (laughs) 
It became the topic of conversation at Carol Fowler Elementary School. The students started mocking the janitors for apparently being outsmarted by a rodent. Uh, one can only imagine the resentment felt by those three janitors. Mocked by students. Mocked by students for their lack of ability to eliminate the gopher. Try after try after try. Time went by. Still no luck for these janitors. Now it's April 3rd, 1995. The three janitors reported for duty their regular time around 7 a.m., about an hour and a half before classes started. Now apparently over the weekend, one industrious student had uh, taken the task upon himself to trap the gopher, and he was successful. He apparently trapped the gopher in a live trap and kept him in his garage over the weekend. Now it's Monday morning. And that's when the uh, student brought the gopher to school and presented it to the janitors. (laughs) Now, I can only imagine the embarrassment and humiliation to the janitors, and they might have been feeling at first, being outsmarted by a gopher for weeks. Exactly. And then outmaneuvered by a seventh grader with a live (laughs) trap and a little extra free time on the weekend. (laughs) So they probably had a lot of pent-up rage and anger toward this gopher. And the topic quickly switched to what method of execution the janitors would employ while dispatching the gopher from, uh, from existence. After several minutes of debate, they came to the mutual agreement that the best possible method of gopher execution would be death by cleaning solvent. So, what? Cleaning solvent. But not just any clean, cleaning solvent. This type of solvent was designed to remove chewing gum from surfaces. When you spray it on chewing gum, it freezes the gum, and then it makes it easier to scrape up. It's commonly used in elementary schools and high schools across the nation. So, these three geniuses took the gopher into the cleaning supply closet where the solvent was kept. (sighs) Okay. I don't like this. After reading the gopher his last rites, they took a can of solvent down from the shelf and sprayed the contents all over the gopher. What? No! It didn't phase the gopher in the least. (laughs) In fact, he seemed to enjoy it. He was cleaning himself. So they grabbed another can and sprayed that can of solvent on the gopher. All that did was seem to make the gopher a little grumpy. So they thought surely canister number three would work. After emptying the third can of gum solvent on the gopher and the gopher not seeming to react to it in any way, they took pause for a moment to ponder their next move. Good call. One of the men apparently thought he would think better if he fired up a cigarette. Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) So he pulls out a Winston and sparks it up. Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) In the supply closet, after emptying three cans of gum-freezing solvent in the encased area. Three cans. (laughs) No. The subsequent explosion not only seriously injured all three janitors, but sent 16 school children to the hospital for injuries to be treated as well. Fortunately, the children only suffered minor scrapes, like a scraped knee, nothing serious. The three men, however, were carried out on stretchers. <laughs> um, but And the gopher? Yeah. Completely unscathed. Yay! He was seen scampering off into the woods shortly after the smoke cleared and the debris ceased (laughs) raining from the sky. Au revoir, Gopher! Oh, that's priceless. That's Wiley Coyote-like. A happy ending, Cat. The Gopher won. I love that. My source information came from the Sacramento Bee and Wikipedia. 
You're in the shallow end with Schnepley and Toth. Plant-based foods have been around for ages, but only in the past few years have people started switching to plant-based burgers and steaks that taste like real meat. But what if you're a cannibal? Shouldn't you be able to enjoy plant-based food that tastes like real human flesh? Well, now you can. Introducing Human Plus Foods, the only plant-based food with the same taste and mouthfeel as real human meat. So you can get all the joys of cannibalism without the legal ramifications and mess of killing your fellow human beings. And only Human Plus offers a selection of foods that simulate human flesh. Want a little extra gristle and fiber with that mouthful of food? The Human Plus EG line simulates extra gristle. You worked hard to develop a taste for human flesh. Reward yourself with Human Plus plant-based foods. Available online or in your grocer's freezer. Human Plus plant-based foods. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now? The history podcast that's not your history class part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir to zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. No powered devices near the pool. JG and Lindsay may play well together, but water and electricity, mm, not so much. You're in the shallow end with Schnepley and Toth. Lifeguard at Shallow End Podcast is the best way to get in touch with us if you have stories, questions, comments, observations. Maybe you'd like to send us money. <laughs> that would be fine, too. Sure. But in, instead of a, of a viewer or, or listener email, I actually have a story that was told to me by a very dear friend of mine uh, that I, I met when I was at Disney. Her name is uh, Tamara, and her son... Tanner just started uh, high school, and he is a huge fan of this podcast. Oh, so Tamara and I are talking the other day, and she says that uh, on Monday, this this past Monday, Tanner gets up and it's very early, and he's getting ready for school, and he just he looks like he's got the weight of the world on him, and he says, "Oh, I hate Mondays so much." And she says, "Yeah, Tanner, I." I know, I know. And he pauses and then he says, you know, Mom, the only good things about Monday? And she says, what's that? And he says, it's just two days till they drop another Shallow End podcast. Oh. <laughs> Aww. So we're like a little island in the, in the middle of the week for, for Tanner. She said Tanner listens, uh, listens to the Shallow End every, uh, every Wednesday morning as he's being driven to school. Oh, That's So awesome. thank you, Tanner, and... Everybody who listens on the way to school. Or wherever you may be going. Or wherever you may get this podcast. No, just school. (laughs) Yeah, just school. People, as you know, try and smuggle all kinds of things into and out of our country's (laughs) borders. Drugs, weapons, cash, uh, even animals. Trigger warning, cat. 
This story does not involve birds, even though we know you're not obsessed with birds. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to get sick of your shit. <laughs> One of the kinds of creatures that people also try to smuggle is snakes, specifically Burmese pythons. Now, it's interesting because I was just listening to a box a few days ago where you guys talked about pythons and what they have done to the Everglades. Yeah, people get them as pets and they release them into the wild and it's just destroying. There's something, I don't know, like 20,000 pythons out there or something. And I didn't know until I was reaching this, researching the story that, that that's even an issue. But in Florida, to your point, it's a huge problem. And even though they are, the Burmese pythons are non-venomous, they are constrictors, and that's how they, they kill their prey, by, by squeezing it to death. They're among the largest snakes in the world, capable of growing, I didn't know this, to around 20 feet in length. Wow. And the, the record in Florida, so far, the largest Burmese python has been captured, measured in at 18 feet, 9 inches. That's big. And they're tan, they've got dark blotches along the back and sides. It almost looks like the markings of a, of a giraffe. So the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service lists Burmese pythons as an injurious species under something called the Lacey Act, which prevents the importation of constrictor snakes into the country. And they call them injurious because it can be harmful to both the U.S. economy and to the environment. So as the name suggests, Burmese pythons are native to parts of Southeast Asia, but they were introduced to Florida by humans decades ago. And they have no natural predators in Florida. You talked about that, meaning they eat a large variety of animals. And over 70 species in Florida alone, they even occasionally will eat alligators. So this brings us to a gentleman from New York named Calvin Bautista. Mr. Bautista apparently thought it would be a good idea to try and bring a few of these snakes into the U.S. from Canada on a Greyhound bus. What? Three Burmese pythons, in fact. Now, you might be wondering how he decides to pull this off, because first of all, smuggling anything into the country, no matter what it is, is highly illegal and it's it's risky and and in addition to being illegal it can also be dangerous to the animals themselves in this case reptiles these burmese pythons but mr bautista came up with what he thought was a far smarter way to bring these little guys into america why go the usual route of trying to hide them in say your suitcase i mean anyone can do that and that's the first place those pesky custom agents are going to look right. Can we, can we check your suitcase? So Bautista is in his seat on a Greyhound bus. This is July 15th, four years ago, 2018. He's minding his own, his own business, and they get to the Champlain port of entry, upstate New York. And the customs agents board the bus, and they do a little looking around. And first, everything seems pretty normal. And then one of the agents notices something slightly curious about Mr. Bautista, specifically his clothing, specifically (laughs) his pants. Oh, no. Not the color or the kind of material. It was what one of the Customs and Border Protection agents called, quote, unusual shapes, 
<laughs> Another official noticed, quote, visible bulges. Yeah, you know, JG has to deal with that all the time. <laughs> this is a very common problem yeah. for us at airports. Yeah. yeah, I don't even have to get on a bus no. yeah. for that yeah. to be an issue. So these bulges are, you know, moving around and yeah. the agents yeah. Yeah. politely say, Mr. Bautista, could we, could we just chat for a minute outside this bus? We don't need all these people around us. So they get them outside, they take them inside the customs offices, and that's when they discover the source of these, quote, visible bulges in his pants. <laughs> they said in a statement, quote, further inspection revealed python snakes concealed in fabric bags. Oh, oh. man. So how big were these snakes? I'm assuming they weren't 18 They feet. weren't very big, but <clears throat> the fact that he was able to get three of them, that, that he thought this is a foolproof way to get these snakes into America. So the attorney's office for the Northern District of New York said that Mr. Calvin Bautista, 36 years old at the time from Queens, New York, smuggled those snakes in his pants while crossing into the U.S. on a Greyhound bus. So first of all, <laughs> what the hell does that feel like? Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be a creepy feeling, right? Because you know these things are not just chilling. They've no. got to be they got to be moving around. And even, even the snakes have got to be thinking, what the hell am I doing, first of all, in this bag? And I don't know what pants are. Why do, humans, why do humans even need pants? And even if they are non-venomous, you still have three snakes next to a very, shall we say, delicate piece of a gentleman's anatomy. What are you thinking, dude? Bringing the pythons into the U.S. from another country requires permits under the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. And you can assume correctly that Mr. Bautista did not have those permits. If convicted, mm. he mm. faces a maximum of 20 years in prison, wow. a $250,000 fine, and three years of supervised release. Wow. 20 years? 20 years for wow. uh, a story that I dubbed Trouser Snakes. Yeah, there you go. I love that. I love it. They should nice. make a movie, Snakes in My Pants. <laughs> Get these MF and snakes out of my MF and pants. <laughs> I got this from uh, Newsweek, USA Today, The Guardian, and the Fort Worth Star Telegram. Trousers I just snakes. saw yeah. a uh, story like maybe a day ago, maybe two days ago, about an Indonesian python that unfortunately lost his life when uh, people in the, the town uh, discovered that he had swallowed someone's grandmother. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that happens. Yeah. There was a story that we did on Box of Oddities about a guy who was, I think he was like a, a contract worker in, was it India, maybe? Maybe. I think it was India. He okay. would go out and he would um, harvest coconuts and stuff like that. He didn't come home one night. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. A day later, the family obviously very concerned sure. about you know the whereabouts of their of their loved one sees this huge snake in their backyard oh my god and the snake is dead and so oh. there was a big bulge in it so they did a, a necropsy on it the guy was in there so here's oh. what happened he went to work out into the jungle about a mile from his house a snake swallowed him 
and then brought him back to his yard. That's creepy. Isn't that crazy? That's just, it. yeah, that's weird. It's like, uh, did, the, <laughs> did the snake think, yeah, I probably shouldn't have eaten you, and I know I'm going to die, so the least I can do is bring you back to your relatives. Right, I, I can drop you off on my way out. <laughs> wow. Yeah, crazy. Wow. World is full of crazy things like that, for sure. That's amazing. Thanks for hanging uh, out with us, you guys. You can uh, reach out at uh, lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. We always love hearing from you. You know this. You know this. Send your stories, send your comments, your suggestions. We actually have somebody uh, who emailed in just uh, yesterday afternoon that uh, they're working on something very special for this podcast as a oh. gift based on... Oh. Two words that Jethro said in a previous episode, and I'm not even going to say what those two two words were, but <laughs> okay. All right. these two are very artistic, and they're working on something that uh, we may actually be able to uh, unveil on the wow. uh, on the podcast. How's that for a tease? Fun. Well, that's great. My adrenal meters are pegged. My spidey sense is tingling. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. Make good choices. Your life might depend on it.